0: Storymakers! I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And And this is Storymakers Show. And today, we've got an exciting episode for you. First off, we're going to be discussing autobiography in the books you read at certain periods of your life. So not the genre autobiography, but your autobiography by the books you read. Yes. As told by the books you, you love. Not just read, but the ones that... Anyway, we'll get there. It'll make more sense later. It's going to make so much sense. And then we're going to take a minute and uh, talk about writing groups. I've been part of a writing group, gosh, almost seven years now. And uh, talk about how that came together, but also some strategies for making your own writing groups. And I have more than one writing group. So Mm -hmm. writing group monogamy can be another aspect of this conversation. (laughs) Okay, so let's get started with what are you working on this week? I am I printed out my manuscript and I'm reading it I keep thinking oh I just will make these changes or oh anyway it's 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 all sort of unfolding a little more slowly than I thought it would but I'm trying to just sort of back off of done being the goal the the, it is the goal but done being the deadline like the the next goal and having the goal be like reading this draft because I realize once I read this draft and I'm writing all over it and I'm realizing, oh, wait, those two scenes can be one scene and they have to go in a different order. Then I'll have to input all those changes. So, well, also I think, um, large noise from the office building. uh, There's also something to be said about having the appropriate sized goal for, keeping you going so sometimes when we have a phrase like done it's not particularly specific and it feels quite large so i think it makes a lot of sense that you're breaking that down into what do i need to do right now yeah this pass Mm -hmm. and um and then you know i will say i spent a a kind of jam-packed 27 hours at the san francisco writers conference where i was pretty non-stop on panels and things um and um it was it was actually really exciting there's just so much energy uh, it's it's very much about pitching agents and that sort of professional side of things although the probably the biggest panel I was on was about dialogue so that which we'll, we'll probably do talk about next week um so that actually was it was um, heartening to me because it meant that people were really interested in craft right and at the at rock bottom like it's got to be about the the art the practice the love of it so anyway so that's that was part of my work this week and it also um i did you know read the manuscript a little bit in the morning and you know do that but um that sort of disrupted things so um i'm really looking forward to getting back in and uh, and i'm also you know i'm enjoying this part of it so i want to i don't want to i don't want to feel like bad about being in this moment of this process what are you working? On? Well, surprisingly, what I'm working on, you are working on too. Um, right now, we're doing our pre-production to look at shooting in March, so I'm excited about that. I am too. And um, so, yeah, so basically, looking at making connections with people, filling in roles, going back through the uh, script. Uh, you know, there's pretty consistently certain kinds of questions and. I don't have all the answers right now, but I still have to keep moving forward in how I uh, get people together. So sometimes I'm going to maybe be solving some of the script problems by looking at... um, not necessarily creating a whole new scene or creating whatever but really thinking about the business and what people are doing and what we are noticing as a way to communicate that information. So Apparently you're kind of moving into director mode, right? You're thinking right. about how you're going to t- what you're going to be discussing having the actors do right. with this blueprint of the script. And you know, and thinking about blocking because when you look at scripts, so, you know, you'll have these huge swaths of uh dialogue and one of the pieces we bring to it as um, like a director or an actor, we bring that that action, that visual expression of what's happening for the characters that isn't revealed in dialogue. Yeah. And so when you're writing prose, one of the things you're doing is you know, using those uh, details. Right. The visual and, sensei details, the moments of silence, the facial expressions. Right. And so... That's carried by more than one person in the filmmaking process. Yeah, yeah. So very exciting. Oh, and yes, I'm glad to have hopped on board and I'm helping you get it organized. Yeah. So. Well, all right. Let's start with our life in books. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, I don't even remember how this came up for me, but I was I was sitting in a panel thinking about something, and I thought, oh, wouldn't that be great to talk about? those books. And um, I brought it to you and you said three books. And I said, I can't do it in three books. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Well, this is a little ad hoc. So um, you know, I was thinking as you know, as we were discussing the possibilities of this podcast earlier, one of the things that really struck me is that like everything else in memory, one book begets another and um so and, well, and then the, the question and this is actually a memoir question right because as i was looking at my list which was you know had gotten to 20 books and i was just beginning my brainstorm and you and you had this idea of like okay here are the three key books and of course in memoir you have to cut 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 and zero in and shape like what are what what, what story are you telling so are we looking at the books that impacted us as writers? Are we looking... At- These are great questions. Yeah. What is this assignment? I don't know. <laughs> You're the one who made it up. I just I just started thinking about how shaped we are by books, you mm-hmm. know, and... Um, well, because there's a connection, right? There's the books that change us, but in part, they change us because of the way they reflect ourselves back to us. So, right. Right. Um, they, and sometimes they're a step ahead of us or more, and they reflect a possibility. And sometimes they're maybe, you know, I'm not quite a step behind, but sometimes they're, they're a mirror, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, wow. And it's always amazing to see yourself in a book. Well, I will say uh, a couple of things. One, uh, before I could read, and I don't know if this is entirely true, but this was a story that my mother told me, was that before I could read, one of my favorite books to have read to me was the third play in the Oedipus trilogy, Antigone. <laughs> oh, no. And... You know, ironically, when I think about that story, there are certain uh, values that I have that I think are reflected in that, but I can't imagine that, you know, three and four, I was like, rock on, go Antigone, cover your brother with dust. Yes, Yes. you're standing out there, if they're not going to bury him, you're going to guard his body. Yeah. And you did have a brother who was... But he's not dead, so I still have him. No, yeah, yeah. But at three and four, I'm just saying he's a significant older brother figure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's hard to kind of imagine. Do you remember it? I remember the cover of the book. I remember driving to my grandmother's house, bringing the book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so there you go. Some people love goodnight moon. Some people love Antigone. It's just those like where is Antigone the picture book? Right. Children, right. Right. I think there's there's something. There's an idea for someone to leap on. Yes. <laughs> uh but if we're talking about books that I remember reading myself, um, well, I I already told you I was gonna cheat okay. and, and and invoke a series which was um, the Oz books. And I talk about those a lot. And I talk about how, uh, you know, there's a scene in one of the books where so many outside people have been coming through Oz and to Oz and um, kind of threatening the safety and what's special about Oz. Uh, So Glinda casts a spell on it so that you could walk through Oz, fly over it, be in the heart of this magical place and never know it. And that broke my heart Mm, because you wanted to be there because i wanted to be there i have to say i'm sorry to say i'm putting like this crazy trump's anti-immigration read on that on googling just hiding (laughs) hiding before it was like you know oz is the land of sort of freaks and you know so there's that kind of like oh we we outsiders get to be the insiders but but there's a darker read too Except for if you go back and you look at the biography of L. Frank Baum, he was actually a big lefty, a feminist. Totally. Like, so I think your Trumpish read on it is That's not actually good. I'm glad. What was actually happening was he was trying to end the series, <laughs> <laughs> and like, kids I'm gonna, just I'm hide it. <laughs> basically, he was trying to end the series, and you read the intros to these books, and we've talked about it before. And almost everyone starts with, "I thought the last one would be my last one," and I got so many letters that I felt I had to do the next one. And so I I really think that what that was motivated by was putting that series to bed and allowing uh, people to hold it in a special, almost making it a nostalgic place we all went to one time. Right, right. Rather than what you're reading. reading. Okay, good. I mean, I'm very glad. So so in a word, um, how did this book change or shape you? it reflected I think my desire to you know I was raised Catholic so I want to start with that and then I'm you know as a Catholic former Catholic um constantly in search of redemption and I felt like his books allowed good guys and bad guys more complexity and also just the wonderful magicalness of what I think is, I experienced the world to have when I was a kid and to be in, in the orchard in the, in the kind of rural area that I was in having come from a suburban place that there was a way in which it really, I think touched my sense of the magical and the world, which again is also Catholic. So, uh, all right. I wonder if I should do a childhood book. Cause yeah, maybe if I harness my story to yours, I'll just do three books or whatever. You know what I mean? I will okay. pick from among the, list. Um, although, of course, right away that, that thrusts me into a choice. Um, so the Betsy, Tacey, and Tim series was definitely near and dear to me, and I got to read most of it to Leo and Charlie the last couple of years. Um, and um, it starts with them in kindergarten, maybe even earlier, and the book is kind of a young chapter book, and then Um, It grows as they grow until Betsy, I mean, it goes all the way up to Betsy getting married. I think we got to junior year in the rereading with the the kids who are still nine, so. Um, Oh, my gosh. I mean, I actually went to Mankato where she lived because my uncle lived in Minnesota and he took me there. And I think, you know, I grew up in Berkeley in the 70s going back and forth between my parents' house. And here was this neighborhood with, you know, these, I mean, Tib eventually moves to Milwaukee and then eventually moves back again, and that's like the wildest sort of. I mean, other and and you know, horses and buggies go out of style and cars come in, so there are changes to gra- be grappled with, but they are not day by day changes uh, to who is in your parents' bed or <laughs> or what sort of random cult. they <laughs> yeah, I didn't have that either. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, it's it's one thing I will say that Sebastopol is probably a little bit. Of um what do they call it? It's Mankato is the real place where Maud Hart Lovelace lived, but it was like it's called like what Sweet Valley or something. Now I do not know, but that's like a romance thing. Oh my God, I'm forgetting the real name I mean the, the the imaginary name of it anyway, but I think, and then but also I mean, in rereading it, they're so um even though they're it's gendered in that they're these little girls in this time period where they do wear dresses and things, I mean they're climbing trees and getting into trouble and having incredible imaginings. And, it's, and a lot of stuff in snow. A lot of stuff in snow and climbing mountains. And it's not, um, it's, it's not, I mean, maybe because the gender stuff is just sort of there in the world, it's actually not emphasized in the way that I feel like sort of parents these days are always kind of in this weird sociological way talking about it. So it just, they were just, you know, incredibly imaginative, wonderful, People mm-hmm. and it was about their friendships and uh, I just just loved it. Mm. Yeah, um, and maybe it's why I live in Sebastopol. <laughs> well, you know, I reread some of the Oz books with the kids too, and and one of the things you know, I one of my kind of maybe long term goals is to adapt the second Oz book, which we've talked about as well, into a movie. Um, because it's really radical in a lot of ways. And it's radical in that, um, even though he was a feminist, he presents two different armies of women and their motives. And it's, there's never even a question. though he was a feminist or maybe because he was Well, because he was a feminist. And I think one of the things that was true is that like, you have one army of women who takes over. The land of uh the emerald city and the emerald city of course is defended by the you know royal army of oz which is one guy and it's the guard with the green whiskers and um you know and they take over with their knitting needles and throughout the book there's the references to like you know how men are like, complaining and suffering at you know the harshness of what's happened because the roles have been wholeheartedly reversed and the scarecrow makes a mention of well if it's so hard, how have the women done it all this time? <laughs> and at the same time, you have, you know, this intense gender reversal at the end of the book where the main character, Tip, who is a little boy and who's on a quest to return the scarecrow and then to find the rightful ruler is, in fact, the beautiful and dainty Ozma. Spoiler alert! Um, but what I loved about it is you have the army of general ginger who has collected girls from every quadrant and there's four quadrants in oz and their uniforms even though their skirts show each color of the land of oz mm-hmm. so it's this, you know and so they're but they're mo- they're unifying words. right but their motives are bad because what they do is they go into the emerald city and they take over and they take all of the emeralds out and they take all of the jewels that are part of the public space and they keep them for themselves and they sort of hide them away and they don't really rule um and then you know the scarecrow is seeking to be the uh ruler again because remember the wizard blood. Where, where i come from there are men who have no more brain than you have but they do have one thing you haven't gotten that it's a diploma (laughs) exactly so the scarecrow had been left in charge uh and when he seeks to regain his uh position there glinda's like but you're not really the rightful ruler and so she has this wonderful army that she has you know trained and and whatever and they are people who are um there's no violence that ever happens really so who is the right the rightful ruler is awesome and and it's no, neither, so not so who but so not the army and not the scarecrow but a, a third party honestly. right so so, so anyway let's well. back up for a second on mm-hmm. the specifics of the world which are clearly wildly enchanting and memorable and talk about world building yes. right talk about for 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 the writers out there who are listening to us just how how when you know, how a reader's enthusiasm for the details of a world can match a writer's enthusiasm for mm-hmm. the details of a world. And what what incredible I mean, it not only do we have our own imaginations, but then we get other people's imaginations and we get to kind of sail away on those. Yeah, I would actually encourage I'll see if I can actually find a section or maybe type it up. One of my favorite things is I was reading it through again as I was listening to the Decemberists and they have this song Infanta, which is like a, a princess. But when you listen to that song, and you, imagine, and you imagine Glinda coming to the gates of the Emerald City, she doesn't just simply attack, she doesn't simply siege, and she isn't focused on the army on the whole. She's asking for General Ginger to give up the person who has hidden the rightful ruler. So it isn't even like a war. It's like... The, the Negotiation. Right. The, there is someone who belongs here in, in this role. You're not it. What will you do? Like, I either have to take over your city, which I will do because I'm Glinda, <laughs> or uh, I will, or you can give me Mombi. So, is- Mombi is the witch that um, turned Ozma into Tip and then was very mean to Tip for a very long time. But um, so anyway, it's again here are these great well trained people who don't start appointments. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's just these models that I think are kind of interesting, given that these are written in you know the turn of the last century, so you know 1900, 1922. Um, it's so funny though. It's like I, I'm curious about the, and I think what we're probably do just do childhood. This I guess episode, so. But but like this sort of. I guess the psychological aspect and then the craft aspect of it mm. is like that, you know, and, and it's just like you're so beautifully like entangled in the world. You're just like, yeah. no, the story. Here's the story, which in a way right. is right. Like that's the most important thing, and that's and I think that's the thing for everybody out there to remember is like at bottom, what your reader cares about is is the whole. I mean, I don't mean just the story, like the plot, but like the. Well, I think you know it's the book on its own terms, I and I think there's something really relevant about the way he chooses the world because it's a very specific world, right? So you look at Lewis Carroll, right? Mm-hmm. in his Alice books and they have very crazy different mm-hmm. things and, you know, uh, visually interesting things. Um, and I think there's definitely probably a cultural moment around some of that stuff. But I think about, You know, there's places where people are made out of, um, like, ceramic. And they're very fragile. In the Oz. In the Oz books, right? So as they're traveling through the lands of Oz, you keep coming to these different places. Or or, uh, in one of the books, there's a character called the Shaggy Man. And he has the opportunity. He's done good things, and Ozma wants to reward him. um, But he's a tramp. He's a traveler. And he has no interest, really in getting fine clothes or things like that. So she makes him a very beautiful suit of shads, And so he has this beautiful suit and he is rewarded, but it's in alignment with his sense of value. Yeah. And um, it reminds me of, you know, Janet Fitch saying uh, for a writer, a cliche is anything you've ever heard before. mm -hmm. And really like, what, what does it take to let your imagination be so free? Well, I think that's why so many people have done drugs and been drinking while writing. These are not the recommended. <laughs> or, you know, or people saying writing naked, things that push you outside of your comfort <laughs> yeah. zone. So I'm seeing bomb Frank L. Baum, like writing no. naked, drunk, on drugs. That's what we're, these, are, these are not necessarily tips that are endorsed by the podcast.
1: Beard, okay, not I'm the going to go
0: What allows you to let your imagination run so wild? <laughs> well I would also say if we're going to use him as an example he's actually having a conversation about real things Yeah, and what he's done is convert them to metaphors So, right. um, and, and that's and they resound sort of timelessly but out of the moments of mm-hmm. history that they I mean we don't know anymore like oh this is about gold backing the dollar or, I, mean, I had a yeah. junior high uh, history teacher talk about this but you know all some of the things that you know the the wh- whoever pulls the cart across the poppy field the little mice is it that yeah. pull the lion and it's like the industrial work and, and oh and the, the, the queen and the mice and they all get through because the organic people the meat people made of meat and they actually talk about these things but um dorothy and the lion cannot move but right. the scarecrow and the tin woodman can't carry them both right and so they need the help but of the, so those are sort of like labor well in addition Mombi, in um and i think that's in the second book is actually putting up um fake it all these illusions fire mm. and these things that would be terrifying and the mouse runs through them That mm. is like so heartening at this very moment isn't it somehow yes. the like the illusions of that the evil witch is putting out somehow and and, and then also that the tin woodsman represents the industrial workers and the farmers are represented by the scarecrow and so there are those mm-hmm. those things too and yet and yet it, the story it stands on its own there i just want to throw out one more book while we're in the childhood okay we'll, we'll we'll move on to talking about writing groups but i just and it's and it, it's always it's very different um it, it's from the mixed up files of mrs vasily frankweiler the other like just so, and of course, so that one's about two kids who run away from home mm-hmm. to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, and they sort of unravel a mystery there and um and go in search of the answers and so it's just really funny to me because it's like one is so much about like home and stability and traditions and all of that the betsy Tacy Tib books, and then here it's about running away from home and living in this magical museum, mm-hmm. right? And get, and I loved getting to be in spaces, you know, even like getting to be in school when no one else was there. I felt it was empty for some reason. You got to go I don't know. It's one of the big things So you halls. were the kid who wouldn't show up for the fire drill. Like everyone else would go <laughs> outside and there would be Elizabeth skipping then. through the halls. I don't know when I was ever, you know, maybe I don't know why I was ever, but I just have really vivid memories of like the empty school halls, mm-hmm. but I wasn't during fire drills. So anyway, so I just wanted to throw that out there as another match. Oh well, point. I'm gonna counter you. Okay. <laughs> I see you are Mrs. Bessie Frankweiler. Well, because the other one, and this was uh I think Besides the, the team. team. Besides <laughs> the it. it was actually DNA Champion of the World by Rodol. Oh. And uh that one is very you know, it's about a kid and his dad and poaching and poaching from the rich people who are unambiguously mean and and um And I, I still have a very kind of um, physical memory of that Mm. book and what it meant to read it. I mean, going into that time, it is—it's like a very, like I have this like pleasurable feeling kind of infusing my body, even though it's sort of it's sort of a rainy day and we're sort of huddled in this office. But all of a sudden, it's just like the magic of all those books. And so, let's just before we move on. Tips that come out of this for writers. I mean, other than to connect back to that deep, passionate love of story and character that I think is what really gets us all going here. Yeah. You know, well, I think there are. When one is for all of the books that we've discussed, certainly for children, and I think if you're gonna look at anything, um, but having a world that is interesting. The truth is, you know, like we can we can read books about suburban experience and houses that you know millions of us have seen but often there needs to be something that makes this world a little more vivid a little more magical magical yeah. I mean all these worlds that we're talking about have some kind of magic mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. them even you know even the the Betsy Davis Tip ones where it's it is her ordinary. I mean it's Monhart Lovelace's childhood but I think she's writing looking back on it with great love you know and and the magic that it was for right You know, and so it is magic absolutely and then of course the go you know sleeping in the med right i mean how mm-hmm. magic is that and oz and even the poaching world right these are all varying degrees of realistic to mm-hmm. completely complete fantasy right all the, the whole spectrum of realism to fantasy but all yeah. magical. absolutely so cool any other thoughts on that um, well, you know, I was actually thinking a lot about the relationship of character and story and how I might, you know, succinctly articulate that. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, all characters, sometimes I think people are like, I don't know what their flaw is. I don't know what their, you know, the thing mm-hmm. that they're going to change or overcome. But the truth is, all great characters have a worldview. So if if you can kind of maybe be succinct about how your character sees the world mm. and it may not even be the thing that changes for them in the way you view your story but um, having that clear broad stroke sense of who that character is you know certainly with kids stories we might almost say that you know these are you know big broad stroke but, and then they, and models, they define right? each other like Claudia has this um, she's the planner, I think, and and like, but she's got all this fantasy level, and Jamie is really good with money. That's why she brings him. You know, he's really and he's very um, whatever conservative, <laughs> fiscally conservative. But so that so they contrast with each other, right? Yeah. So you have those kinds of relationships. So thinking about the, you know, the how does your character see the world, and why does that worldview fit into the world you were exploring? I just love this. I mean, the, the thing about the setting, like what is magical about your world, right? What is, I just love that as a question. And that's true for everything. I mean, you think about the political and, thrillers, you think about- Right, all of them. Um, yeah. And what, and then the, other, so what is magical about your world and what is your character's like kind of broad, deep, passionate worldview, mm-hmm. right? I think yeah. those are two great takeaways that we can, you know, go look to the books we loved as children to see that ah oh, yes like that's storytelling mm-hmm. and it carries and we'll and we'll as we continue this discussion uh in subsequent episodes we'll, as, and we move through our lives we'll look at how that carries sounds good let's, yeah let's talk about writing groups Yeah. So you were at the San Francisco Writers Conference and you were saying this sort of came up as a question people were discussing. Well, yeah, there was actually a panel about writing groups and people were. And so we all had our different stories about writing groups um, coming out of classes, writing uh, groups being taught as classes. Right. Of course, like uh, both I and and another person there teach classes and those classes have become strong communities. and, And some people then even have sub writing groups from within that. Um, for me, it was out of a network of writers for you. It was from Squaw Valley, mm-hmm. but, so, but then it was like, but all of those things are, it's like, you can't really say to somebody, you know, go take a class and, and connect with the people or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you start a class? And then somebody told me this awful story about meeting up with like the neighborhood, uh, you know, email list, right. And put out a call and people started gathering weekly. There were about six of them. And after six or eight weeks, they said, let's do an evaluation and decide who's going to be in the group. Oh, Jesus. And they kicked her out. Oh, my God. I mean, this lovely person. I just, anyway, it was so brutal. And actually, one of the things someone else on the panel had said is, well, you can't just ask people to leave. So it's a lot easier to state up front what you want and how it's going to work because really, you know, it would be too rude to ask someone to leave. But apparently this group felt otherwise. Well, it strikes me that there's a number of questions about writing groups. So one is forming one. Mm-hmm. But being in one for seven years now, there's definitely a care and feeding process that needs to kind of, of go Of your group. In of your group. The care and, and feeding of a writing group. And, um, you know, my group is, you know, Arizona, Southern California, San Francisco, and I'm up here. So for seven years, for the most part, we've only been meeting online. And... One of the things that I think is true is that we all hit different moments of uh, low productivity, low interest, um, and you have to be able to kind of be willing to take turns being the leader who's about to pull things back together for the group um, when you are that kind of decentralized, because I think it is very easy to slip out of it. But obviously, not everyone needs to be the leader all the time. You know, so you just, it's kind of having that organic sense. Uh, sometimes I don't notice it and one of my cohort will notice it and reach out and get things started again. Um, but it is something to be tended. And I think the thing that you just described is horrifying. Um, so I think it does sound like a good idea to decide ahead of time what are you hoping to get out of a writing group because not all writing groups do the same thing and let me run down just a few of the shapes of some writing groups that i've been in so one is free writing groups, and actually there was a time like this was like when people used to put uh, ads in the newspaper if you remember newspapers uh you know like the guardian like oh meet here at this meet at this cafe at this time for a free writing group and then write for you know pull a prompt and write for five minutes and then read and then write for 10 and then read write for 15 and re- i remember like that was, and i actually love that i'd still love to do that um so that's a, a kind of very casual writing group and uh there was a place in seattle where like every monday morning like the whole cafe would fill up with tables of people doing groups and you just knew you could show up there and they'd have a timer and it would be the whole cafe it was very cool so that falls into the very non monogamist writing. Yes, it's casual encounters. <laughs> like the bar yes. scene of writing groups. Um, and then, you know, uh, the group that I have, one of my major groups that I have now that I've been with for about eight years or nine years or eight years probably, um, is uh, this group of, of published writers. And we meet when someone has a manuscript. Uh, so, or sometimes people have a hundred pages they want to get a, a take, but uh very often it's like a completed manuscript, big chunk, send it to everybody, schedule a time for about a month later that we can all meet. Um, and we're all over the sort of greater Bay area. You guys meet in person. So then we meet at a restaurant, we have lunch, we talk about the book for an hour, we all check in for a half hour and that's it. You know, We just do that maybe five or six times a year, depending on when people have books. So. That's great for getting a whole manuscript script read. I mean, I love that. And then I have another group that I meet with every other week that's just two other writers and me. And we, that can sometimes be reading short pieces or chapters. Or, and a lot of it's just checking in and supporting each other or reading something aloud. I mean, it's really just a it's kind of a support group. But it, it started off being more of a critique group. Um, but we're just not generating work in the same way when you're working on a book, uh, especially revising. It's a different way. And I think there's a, you know, I mentioned last week when I had been reading the book, you know, The Finishing School. um, You can have a writer's group that is not about critique, that is not about getting feedback. feedback. If what you want to do is have a group of people who will hold you accountable to word count rather than um, give you any kind of uh, critique. That's a viable option, too. And I yeah. think that um you know what's happened for my writing group is we've actually opened it up because over the course of seven years, we all started as writers of screenplays. We met at a screenplay writing summer camp. <laughs> um, so at this point, we now have people who are writing short stories and getting those published and uh, essays, and they read your novel and they read my novel. so, I think more than anything is finding a group of people for whom you have a great deal of respect and, um, also from whom you feel respected mm-hmm. and that almost trumps anything else. Cause I feel like if you get the right people together, you can work together to get your individual me- needs met and still get the benefit of, of that community right and the other thing i think um yeah I mean, well anyway i have many thoughts on that i think you, you want to i always think it's really helpful to have people who can really tell you what it's like to read your thing mm-hmm. rather than how they would write it yeah um but i also will say i've had groups that are more or less prescriptive i, I had a, you know, my, my group in new york two things about them that i loved one is that you had to commit to writing at least 10 books in order to join it right and I just think that's so great it just takes all the pressure off the book you happen to be writing whether it's your first or your third or your fifth because it's just one of your your many um, and then secondly what we would do is um, everybody would say something they loved about it that was true and everybody would ask a question about it um, and that could be a question that you know like a curiosity question or a confusion question or whatever and then, the writer would lead the rest of the discussion, so sometimes that's all the writer wanted was just like you know, like one person turned in a chapter every you know time we met, and, and she just kind of wanted that holding place, and so that was it. Um, and sometimes people really had bigger questions. You know, was this working? Did you care what, are, what about this? What did you think about this? So the writer actually led not by arguing back, right? You never really want to get into tell explaining to a group about it, but in but in asking questions. Mm-hmm. So that was I liked that. Yeah, I think that um, it's. I will just go back to it. Like anything else, it's a collaboration, and it's the people you work with. If you you know. Yeah, but and, and they you do want people who love your stuff, and and whether because they love you or because they love the kind of stuff you do, I, I don't know. I don't know if that matters, but I mean, it, on some level, you want people who. Our are, are, are readers who, or at least get it, but I think that goes back to the personal piece. Frankly, I think it's if you have someone who loves you but doesn't understand your writing, that's a little bit maybe not what you need, or you modify what you're trying to get from that group. Um, but again, when I think about the group that of folks that I work with, I respect them as readers in addition as being writers, mm-hmm. right? That matters. And so that's um, the most important, right? But also, I think you have to you have to respect right. both sides. Right. Absolutely, and um, and so, in terms of like if you have no group right now, there are a number of ways. Especially now, like I would be surprised there wasn't some kind of online thing happening. But beyond that, you know, NaNoWriMo every year will have these kind of public group meetups to write and that's national novel writing month it happens in november we'll put a link to that and i know it seems a long way away Mm -hmm. but these kinds of writing events often have events in public and i have met people on those kinds of things as well so and i just want to add and and not to to self-plug but i just want to say that one thing i love about book writing world is that it's very much a community and it doesn't have a huge turnover, even though we'll, we will be opening again in April. We'll have some a few spaces, and um, we do check in, and people support each other tremendously. And out of that, they you know set up text buddies, like "Oh, I'm going to start writing now," or whatever kind of handholding different people need. So it's don't that's, feel, a, that's uh, a that is like more than a facilitated writing. It's a because, class. It is a, a class. class, but I just want to say that that if it's an ongoing class with a kind of consistent group of people, it can be a great way to go, you know? No, absolutely, absolutely. Be- because sometimes, um, and I've had people sort of go off to organize their own thing and then come back again because it can be a lot of work to do it. And I think do it all, you know? I mean, I, I think do it all and I still take classes and I have writing groups. I, I mean, I just mm-hmm. think you can't have too much social support. <laughs> right, so, um, yeah. Feel free to ask us any questions. We're, we're You know, we can... Talk about this more. Send questions to questions at Mm storymakersshow.com about writing groups or anything else. It is time for Steal This! T.S. Eliot said, amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings that you would like to take and make your own? Well, this is an interesting question as I prepare the film. Uh, Because Film doesn't really call it um, stealing, they call it homage, <laughs> and I was thinking about a scene where if we don't get a particular location, how could I relocate it? How could I set mm-hmm. it up so that we can still get that information but not right there? And. Uh, i was thinking about a hitchhiking scene and i was reminded of it happened one night and there's a wonderful scene Claudette colbert and clark gable and they're on the side of the road and she's kind of you know looking down her nose at him she's a rich heiress he's a kind of working class journalist and so and of course he's looking down his nose at her as well and so he's trying to show her how it's done and he's doing a series of hitchhiking maneuvers To get someone to stop Nobody stops for him (laughs) And then she sort of looks at him Walks to the edge of the road And simply lifts her skirt above her ankle (laughs) Kind of mid-calf And of course the next very next car comes to a screeching halt and the next scene she's riding in the front and he's in the bed of the truck so are you going to steal her technique is that what you're going to well i just hitchhiking well what i was just saying is that even if you don't steal that exact series of actions the idea that you have uh a common goal they both want to get picked up Mm -hmm. but that common goal actually is then heightened by this competition that they have around who can get a ride and it really reflects their relationship so what I want to steal uh is that it happened one night hitchhiking scene which I will put in the show notes as well um but that's not stealing it's homage (laughs) okay good well I mean that's Uh, that's that's the deal right that's sort of why I mean I think if this were wildly illegal and immoral it wouldn't be a regular episode it might just be (laughs) one show Um, I'm just gonna say and it actually gives me an idea for a podcast which is because I was at San Francisco Writers Conference um, people were pitching 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 and there's a point where you know 10 people come sit down at the table and they I give them each two minutes and then we change and we do it again with like another table and another table 12 people anyway so it's like this hour and a half of like pitches and um it turns out like I'm fantastic at helping other people really quickly like hone their pitches um but it's so so hard for me to do myself that I actually thought maybe we could do a pitching workshop you and me Mm -hmm. in an episode where I will bring in an attempt to pitch my novel and maybe you could bring in an attempt to pitch your movie and we can actually work on them together and just kind of as a way of going through that process of pitching which I think you're really good at helping other people do. I'm really good at helping other people do. Still really hard to do for yourself. Yeah. So like so know, much of art. I don't know how vulnerable you want to be, but I'd like to steal that from this. let Writers' Conference. And I want to remind everybody that the Sonoma County Writers' Conference is coming up to Writers' camp. camp. Oh, Writers' Camp. It's a camp because it's beautiful. It's in May. It's going to be spring in Occidental. It's just fantastic. And we're going to have... Ellen and me, generative writing, but the, there will be agents and authors and people you get a chance to really talk to because it's 24 people, incredible food. Anyway, come join us. Um, if you have questions, you can email me or go to com and check it out. We'd love to get to work with you. And be sure to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you found this if your grandmother was listening to this and left it. Go ahead and let her know you enjoyed it as well. (laughs) All right, have a great.